Pulp-MX Network Production. Pulp-MX fans, we're 550-plus shows and counting thanks to your support of our sponsors. Get the Pulp-MX app for iOS and Android today. Save money with discount code PULPMX at BTOsports.com and click the Amazon banner on PULPMX.com for all other online purchases. It's the BTOsports.com Steve Mackles Show. Presented by Fox Racing on RacerXOnline.com. The original Moto Podcast. Featuring legends of the past, stars of today, season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. Thanks, everybody, for listening. BTOsports.com, use the code PulpMX when you're checking out. To save yourself money and uh, BTO Sports KTM team of Shorty and Brayton, of course, anything you need for your biker body, BTOsports.com has it. And like I said, use the code PulpMX to save yourself money. Foxhead.com, Fox Racing, the global innovation leader in motocross racewear, uh, continuing the relentless pursuit to innovate and elevate. 2016 Flex Air stuff out now. Ryan Dungey runs it, Kenny Roxon runs it, and uh, many more in the pits. So check out Foxhead.com, visit your local authorized Fox dealer. All right, I'm Steve Mathis, as usual. With me on the line, a guy that's uh, done a ton in the, in, the, in the motocross industry off the track, uh, working with champions everywhere and uh, becoming a world champions mechanic. He's now integral to the Red Bull KTM effort and uh, a guy I've wanted to get on here for a long time. Ian Harrison, what's up, Ian? How are you? Hey, Steve. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you've been around a long time. We know each other fairly well, and uh, you're always super friendly at the races, and I... Everybody's got a great story, and I'm sure you do too. So, yeah, <laughs> I do. Well, oh. you know, as you know, I I grew up um, in South Africa as a as a young kid, and um, loved motorcycles mm-hmm. all, all my life, and um, um, I just wanted to get to the U.S. and and that didn't work out for me in the beginning, mm-hmm. um, and I, I didn't quite know how I would ever get here, but um, my my good friend Greg Albertine started started racing in Europe and. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wanted someone to come help him. I was originally a diesel mechanic by by trade, uh-huh. and um, so so I did have some technical background. And I thought, okay, well, I'll go for it. You know, sounds good. <laughs> let me. I went to Europe. Yeah. Yeah. Let me move away from home, a long way away, and uh, yeah. see what I can do. Yeah. And uh, so we went over there, and uh, and uh, in the beginning, honestly, I I, I hated it. Oh really? Was, yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of work, and and it was a different countries and traveling. We I was still on a South African passport. It was it was extremely tough, but in the end, um, he he won a few world titles, and and I really really enjoyed it. And I worked with some great people. Um, yeah. That that helped me grow, and uh, then I came to the states, and uh, the rest is history, really. Yeah, it's uh it's a it's a remarkable career. Let's let's dive into it a little bit. But first, uh are you like I'm Canadian and my country's well, I just saw you at the Motocross of Nations. We were actually leapfrogging each other on that highway there for a little bit. Um going back to Paris, but um my country drives me crazy with this Motocross of Nations half-ass effort. We don't have teams, you know, blah blah blah. 
And we don't have riders like Greg Alberton, Tyler Rattray, Grant Langston, these these world and national champions like your country does. How frustrated? What's going on with South Africa and motocross the nations? Like what 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 what's going on with you guys? You you know what I I actually that's a tough question for me because I, I don't know much about the South African um, motocross anymore because okay. it. it Shrunk so much when when the when the currency lost so much value, mm-hmm. and um, so so and I've lived in America now for twenty years, and and this is basically my home. I've lived here more than half my life, and um, uh, so I, I'm not hundred percent sure, but I know for them it's a massive cost. Their right. their currency is about fifteen to one to the euro. So for them to to send anyone costs fifteen times the yeah. price of what it would you know so it's just a huge expense and then and and not to be ultimately competitive is is, is it makes it tough you know so mm-hmm. um, yeah it's not it's not like the European t- countries and, and the United States that have a, a very strong foundation with motocross and, and a lot of support which which helps. Right in uh, in that specific race, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, and you guys have had some incredible riders, you know, and it's a shame that for whatever reason you can't field this team every year, uh, you know, of of Albie back in the day and Langston and Rattray and Colin Dugmore or whoever else I'm forgetting, you know, like these yeah, these, yeah. these great riders. So, um, and Canada has we don't have as great a riders, but we've got good riders, but we can't get our shit together either, Ian. So yeah, you know. Hey, you know what? You look at France this weekend, and they won, and they they absolutely dominated a great team. But that's the only, that's their third victory in the sixty something years they've been running the motocross of nations, and before the motocross des nations. So mm-hmm. it's not a it's not a simple thing to to win. You know, it's a it's a lot of pressure on three riders for three different races, and not to make a mistake. And, Mm-hmm. It's tough to win a, a championship in one day, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I think fans put a little bit too much emphasis on that race because anything can happen. You know, it's one day, and someone twists an ankle, or someone wakes up feeling, you know, shitty or whatever, and you know, anything can happen. And everybody in our, fa- of course, the fans love to talk about it's Europe versus America and who has the better riders. You know, so. right, right. But you know what? In 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 in. Um for the Americans, they they need to be very proud of their riders, and also for the fact is, if if the Americans didn't go, that would be a, just a regular GP. Mm-hmm. And there wouldn't be that many people. But you send the three Americans there, and every other country wants to beat the Americans yeah. because they are supposedly the very best. And that's why you get the crowd. You know, the crowd want to come and see someone someone great. You know, and, mm-hmm. and when their country beats the Americans, that's a, that's a huge feat. They they. Yeah. They're proud, and they should be. You know. Yeah. Are you American citizen yet? Dual? Are you? Yes. Yeah. I'm. A, I'm. A, I'm, a, I'm an American citizen. It hasn't been long now, but uh, two years. Uh, I'm going. I'm starting yeah. to go through that right now. I don't. I get to keep my Canadian, but I'm. I'm starting the process. So I've almost, uh, like you, I've almost lived here longer. I've. Uh, I got more, maybe one, two more years, and I've lived in the U.S. longer than I lived in Canada. So. Yeah. Yeah. Exa- exactly. I, I and I lived in Europe for a couple of years, so I've lived out of. True. My, yeah. Um, home country longer than I even lived there. Um, let's talk a little bit about this year before we get into your career. Ryan Dungey, um, obviously an incredible season. You guys got the new bike there at KTM. And from what I get from talking to Carlos a little bit, now Ryan's always been a guy that's, from what I understand, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but he's always been a guy that's changed a lot of things over the years and changed a lot of settings and never quite 
letting the bike just kind of letting it go and accepting the bike. Now, from what I hear, though, 2015, he didn't change much with his bike. He was pretty happy all year. You guys, uh, you know, for whatever reason, he's a bit of a different mindset, and uh, and and you guys uh, obviously worked hard on the bike. But uh, that bike is is pretty damn good right now, and so congrats on the season and and talk about the bike and the evolution of that and and how happy Ryan must be. Well, thank you. Yeah, the the, the season was was phenomenal, you know, and um, and you're right. Ryan Ryan really really liked his bike, but there's a lot of factors behind that. He he <clears throat> he had a, a good break last year, and um, and then after that he he got married and all those things that used to worry him a little bit he 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 generally is a, a warrior mm-hmm. and those things were all deleted from his from from his notepad and um <clears throat> he just seemed to come into the year a lot more confident and then you know the key is to to win a race and once they win a race and they have a setting mm-hmm. that that starts to build confidence well when you win two or three in a row then you really you, you have a guy that that trusts in his bike. He's happy with the setup, and and that's the hardest thing to get. So much of it is mental, you know. Yeah. yeah. And and getting there. But at the same time, I do want to give the bike a lot of credit because we did change numerous things. I mean, in the last three years, we sent so much information back to Austria about mm-hmm. chassis and suspension and which way were they going. And it wasn't just paper that sat on a desk. Someone really looked at this, took it into consideration, looked at the at what they were doing in Europe and right, to really try to combine something to come up with uh, a chassis and a linkage system that we could use both indoor and outdoor and and they and they really achieved this and then we put the the um pressure on them about the bike being light and, and yeah. reducing weight but getting it strong and and that was another goal that they that they really showed us they could do and all these little factors Build confidence in a rider. I think mm-hmm. when he sees something new and 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 he sees all the things that have changed, and and luckily most of them for the better. It 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 was uh, it it was just each time it was just building Ryan's confidence. And I think once he went into the season, it, it, you know um, mm-hmm. he really started to gain momentum. But at the same time, you know when we went into the outdoor series, we weren't a hundred percent ready. And that's not to say that we didn't do our homework. Of mm-hmm. course we did. But the, the first time you really know where you at is when you go to your first race. You Absolutely. Know? We, yeah. we got we got smoked by Eli. So <laughs> right. Then we went. Okay. Well, we got to go back to the drawing board and see what we can do better. And yep. we did tweak a little bit of stuff. And and I would say, after maybe race four or five. Then we were on our way. And and I'm sure people think, well, why don't you just fix this overnight? Well, it's not. <laughs> possible to make so many changes with the rider you'll lose him you you gotta you gotta kind of ease into it and 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 make yeah. sure you're going down the right path before you get too crazy you know mm-hmm. yeah and, no um, absolutely it's it's crazy we, when i was a mechanic like i was working for yamaha and we would freak out if we could get our bikes under 220 like it, we were 221 223 you know something like that and that was with a counterbalancer taken off and, and you know everything added to it and I don't obviously you don't want to tell us, but you guys are right near the weight limit, if not on it, and you can see the bikes. They're, they're, these things are are so much better than early four strokes. These bikes, including your KTM, it's uh, it looks incredible out there. Well, thank you, and 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 you're right, you know. And it also depends where the weight is. If you have the weight up high, that's even worse, you know. Mm-hmm. 
but you definitely want a, a like a light exhaust system and all of that because that that weight is all attached to the to the subframe of course and and it's, it's it has a huge effect on the shock mm-hmm. and all of that so reducing weight on the top was a was a key thing for us and we carry a battery and a couple other things right. for the electric start so we wanted to make that as light as possible but Yes, the Carlos's bike or Ryan's bike when we went to Supercross weighed uh, 221 pounds. That is with electric start and that's ready to race. That's that's yeah. You know, that's with the the thick tubes in the tires and and all the things that bigger suspension. Do, yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So that that's a that's a, you know that's a huge huge um, advantage from an old bike which is right. which is about nine or ten pounds heavier. If uh, if I went back to Ian Harrison back in Suzuki days, you know, back when you were working for Albi or whatever, and I told you, mm-hmm. hey, Ian, like, see those guys over there, the KTM guys? Like, they're going to take over the sport, you know, in about 10 years, 15, 12 years. They're going to win everything, uh, you know, with Kenny Rocks and Ryan Dungey and Marvin Muskan and all these guys, Antonio Caroli, of course, being, you know, seven time in a row until this year champion. Um, and I even from when you got there, which you guys got there, you and Roger and Ryan and twenty or and Ryan was one year later, but you got there in twenty ten. Yeah. We we came the end of twenty ten, yeah, yeah, after the after the nations race, right. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you something here. When the first day, you know, Roger Suzuki was cutting back, mm-hmm. and unfortunately, there was a tough time in in the United States, and motorcycle sales were down, and and they wouldn't give they wouldn't give confirmation to Roger, and and. That that really bugged me because I thought you know he has done so much for the sport for Suzuki mm-hmm. for wherever he's been, and um, so eventually I was getting quite nervous because he he hadn't heard anything and um, mm-hmm. so the one day I went to go talk to him and I said Rod you know what's the plan and, and he told me hey can you come to my home and I've, I've got a proposal for you you know this was right near the end of the season right and uh, so I went to his house and uh, and he said to me okay this stays at our house when we go to work. We, we give it 100%. We want to win this outdoor title with Dungey. Mm-hmm. And you forget about what I told you now. So I said, okay. And he mm-hmm. said, do you want to go to KTM? And I said, Rog, are you crazy? KTM? <laughs> KTM? I, 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 I said, there's four other manufacturers. Can we choose one of them, Robert? You know? Yeah, yeah. He said, oh. he, he said to me, hey, they've given me the backing, and they really, they really going to do it. They, 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 we're going to push through, and we're going to... I said, oh, dude, the guys have never even won a race. Yeah. You know, you know how far the, or far away that is? And um, so he said to me, think about it, you know. So then the, the next day I had Pitt calling me, and I, I've known Pitt for a long, long time. He used to come sure, to right. South Africa yeah. and train down there in the winter. So anyway, so I said yes, like a couple of days later. Oh, okay. And, um, See, and then, uh, you probably, and then uh, oh, sorry, you probably would have been, so Roger leaves, you probably would have been the manager of Suzuki team, you know. I mean, that's a logical step for you. Yeah, well, I, I don't, I, you know, I don't know. Uh, we never went down that road, right, but, right. but, but, you know, I've been, I've been blessed to to work with Roger. You know, he he, he knows so many people in so many different mm-hmm. aspects of the sport, and you can always gain information from them, which is invaluable, really. You know, right? And he's always treated me just like. Lucky sidekick, really. You know, he bounces all the ideas off me, and sometimes I'm nearly embarrassed. I think, why is this guy even asking me? You know, <laughs> he he already knows the decision, but I think that's what makes him so great. Mm-hmm. He's, he's he's always open to new ideas and and what other people think. And then 
and then he'll steer you in the right direction, you know. But he he first wants to see which way you headed in. I, it, but anyway, I, yeah, I was, ta- hey, I, was I was talking about Millville about the Destinations team, and he asked me what I thought. <laughs> I'm like, what? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. He, that's that's what we have all. This. Anyway, so then so he tells me about this KTM thing, and then for a long time he 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 never committed, and I was thinking, oh my gosh, <laughs> what, you know what the heck? Right. And then finally. Finally, he did, but he he didn't. He wanted to see his thing through with Suzuki, which which I respect, mm-hmm. um, you know. And then, so then after that, we we came to meet all the guys at KTM here one night. And when we came in here, I was like, "What the heck have we done? This is <laughs> we we I've made a mistake." Now I was really worried, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, um, <laughs> I was, and then, and, I was and really we, worried. I was really I worried. Was, <laughs> I was really worried. And then and then we started with this whole process and uh but they but but KTM came through on every single thing we asked, you know, we mm-hmm. needed we needed new tools and dinos and workshops and semi trucks. I mean it was massive the amount. Yeah. At, at a Japanese company they would have spread that over six or seven years and here they they dropped all this stuff in three months. Yeah. Uh, and then it, and then the thing started to go, and then the bike was step number one. And the first project was to get them believing in the 450 again. Yeah, they had pretty much nearly written it off, and were convinced on the 350. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we we basically told them if you want to win 450 Supercross or or the main class in Supercross, you have to have a 450. You, it's going to be near impossible to convince a rider to ride a smaller bike against these competitors. So that's your choice, and then they and then they decided, okay, we'll build a bike. And three months later, we Jeez. had a new bike, and then another two years later, we had another new bike, and then now we have this one. Right. And, um, so their commitment has been, you, you know, it, yeah. it's it, it's pretty incredible. And and they've sold a lot of these motorcycles in in the states too, and and yeah. their their sales continually grow. And so I think for them, they've seen they've seen the benefits too of of keeping all the different sizes available, two strokes and four strokes. I think there's, you know, in the long run, people want different things, and KTM has them all. Right. Yeah, it's, it's phenomenal. The, 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 the bike is the biggest thing. Like when Ryan Dungey won Phoenix, it was just, you know, and, and Ian, I I'm sure you don't know this, but I was a member of the first KTM factory team in 2000 and 2001. And uh, I do remember. And like to see KTM win, and like obviously I'm a good friend of Nick Way, and he rode the MDK 450 KTM for a number of years there. And to see the new bike, and then Dunge ride it, and you were just like, "This is this is a whole new KTM, everybody. This is not the old KTM that you think of. This bike uh, can turn inside of anybody. It can hit the whoops. You know, like whatever you need it. It was phenomenal to to get that bike ready in such a short amount of time. Yeah, yeah. And you know, all our all our competitors, or the guys we're racing against, they all have incredible bikes. You know, right? They uh, they um, they all very very uh, what's the word? Um, I mean, in each race, you know, there's not one bike that really sticks out from another one. Mm-hmm. And and some of us have some advantages here, and some others have advantages over there. But the main thing was to to um, to be able to get as close as we can and get better on, on some aspects. And, and that's exactly what they did, you know? Yeah. Uh, let's get into, let's get into the time machine and, and go back to you yourself in South Africa, a little Ian Harrison. Um, where'd you grow up? Where were you born and grew up in South Africa? Where, what part? 
I was I was born in Johannesburg and I grew up just outside of Johannesburg in a place named Honeydew. Okay. Just a little little town just outside, yeah, in the sticks. And did you like me or and like I think like me and like most mechanics, did you race and, and, and somehow realize that you weren't gonna be any good at it? How did you get into uh into the mechanicing no, kind of it? I, I, I did race yeah. and um and when we raced we had we had fuel embargoes in, in our country because of because of sanctions. So uh we had to uh, we had to run methanol oh, in geez. our bikes, which is like alcohol. Right. And uh, so in in those bikes, you had to you had to drill. You couldn't buy a big enough jet. You had to drill the jet. Uh, <laughs> and it was long before cordless drills and all that. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's how I met Greg's dad. Okay. You know, he had a small generator and he had a he had a drill and everything. So he would he would help me because I was I was maybe eleven or twelve years old. He would help me drill my jet and and set my bike up and. My dad loved going to the race, but he he didn't he didn't know whether the you know which way to turn the bolt if it was left or right. <laughs> yeah, no yeah, yeah, right. So, so and I I was always I was was mechanically involved in things. I loved taking things apart. So, and then so my relationship with Greg actually started through his dad. So he used to help me because he'd see us, my brother and I, always working on our bikes, and then. Through that, I met Greg, and, and I was about 13 years old, I think, and Greg was 11 or something. Okay, so Greg's uh, a couple years younger. All right, okay. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. then that's how, that's how we connected, you know, and, and then, we, then we became friends, and we lived quite close together mm-hmm. in, in Johannesburg. So Greg had a practice track that was maybe a mile from his house, so my mom used to take us to his house in the afternoon, and we'd unload the bicycle dress, and we'd just ride down the dirt road to the, right. to the practice track, so... Uh, you know, and then our friendship grew from there. I had no idea you knew him that long. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah, he's, he's so, like a brother to me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you're a diesel mechanic, yeah. like you had said earlier, yeah. you're, you're now older, you're working as a diesel mechanic, still working on bikes and still racing at this point. And, but you're seeing like, you're seeing your buddy Greg get really, really fast. Yeah. No, I saw my buddy Greg get really, really fast. And I raced till Till I was finished school, then my dad said to me, "Hey, if you want to race, you pay for it." Mm-hmm. So my racing stopped instantly, <laughs> and uh, and I, I thought at first I, I was bummed, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I thought, why, you know? But in the long run, my my dad did me the, the best favor in my life. You know, he he taught me that you know it's hard to work for your money, and you need to you need to be dedicated. So that's when when I when I I actually got an apprenticeship, which means you. You study for six months and then you work for the company for six months. And I did that for three years doing my my diesel apprenticeship. Right, and, and uh, then after that, that's when Greg called me to go to Europe. So, so I was I was twenty one, I think. And he had this was his first time too. Like he hadn't been there for a year, or had he already gone over when he called you? No, he 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 had he had already been there. Okay. two years. Oh, okay, and, and two, two and a half. Yeah, he had been there two and a half years already. Was he world champion at this point or no? No, no. Okay. Uh, yeah. his, his first world title was in in 1992, and and that was my first full year with him. Oh wow! So you go over, yeah. you tell your parents, your family, your friends, I'm going to Europe with Albie. There's no, there's no internet, there's no cell phones back then. You're like, I, I, I'll, yeah. I'll see you around, I guess, right? Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I I, had, I didn't even own a passport. I, I had never left my country before in my life, you know. <laughs> So uh, things change quickly. I can imagine getting dropped off in uh, in Belgium in January. <laughs> You're like, what yeah. is this? 
Exactly, and then and we drive on the other side of the road too. So oh, you that do. Was also yeah. a shock, you know. Yeah. Uh, if I remember but, right, Greg wrote for a Dutch team though early on. Was that or was that when you went? Did you go to Holland? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I worked in Holland. The guy's name was Jan de Groot, and oh. uh, he was he was he was very very good, like a um, in tuning and stuff, especially on the two strokes mm-hmm. at the time. And oh. he taught me so much. I, I was I was lucky to to be able to work with him, you know. It's really game, game oh. for me. Yeah, I had no idea it was De Groot. I didn't know that. Yeah, I just knew De Groot yeah. was a Cowie guy, you know, um, forever until no, he passed he, away. Yeah, okay, he's a Honda. Yeah, he he, he was Honda. He started Honda, and, and it was called Venko Honda. And Venko was a, they painted ships in in uh, in Holland. Okay. That was our main sponsor, yeah. 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 Uh, that first yeah. year, 125 World Championship, like you said, Greg won it. I think Everett's right. You battled Everett's. Um, that 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 year, um, actually, Everett's was riding. Everett's was world champion the year before in '91. Okay, and he moved up to 250, uh, um, 252 stroke at the time, mm-hmm. and we stayed 125. And we battled uh, uh, John Stravos. Oh he yeah. Was, uh, he, so we went one two in the championship actually for Jan de Groot. We were teammates that year. Uh, how was that as it got as the series wound down? Did you win it by a lot or how how was the, the battle? No, no, it was it was a close battle all the way and then and then finally um Jan made Greg ride the Dutch championship to ride in the sand just like a lot of guys. Sure. Did. And yeah. he got really good in the sand and the last round, the second to last round was in was in uh, Lero. Oh yeah. And uh, very, very sandy. And Greg actually won that day, and then that was that was the deciding factor. You know, that pushed right. him, that crushed um, Davy. You know, because he thought he would be able to have a chance to get it back. Sure, there. yeah, it's hard to hard to beat a Dutch guy in the sand. So, yeah, you know, yeah, um, yeah, exactly. You said you hated it over there. Was it just the weather and the food and everything when you first got there? Was was it just? It was. It was, it was the weather, the the, the workload. I mean, we, we won a South African passport, so every country we went to in the world, we needed a visa. So there were many times we drove back from a, from the GP, mm-hmm. got into an airplane, flew to South Africa, went to the embassy to get a, to get a, um, Oh, come on. Visa, no way. Flew back. Yeah, yeah. Oh. And then, and then, and the year before, Greg finished 10th in the World Championship, 1991, mm-hmm. but he couldn't go to, he, he wasn't allowed to enter four countries that denied him, denied him entry. And then in '92 he was leading the championship, and we still couldn't go into Sweden. And actually, we got a he got a letter written from Nelson Mandela asking permission for us to to be able to race. Really? In the country. Holy yes, smokes! Yes, and, yeah. And then I think it was that same year that Nelson Mandela presented Greg's mom with the Sportsman of the Year award because Greg was the first South African uh, motocross world champion. So you had to after GPs you had to go back to South Africa, go right to the, ten hour ten hour flight down yeah. down south to go get in because they only give you a visa um, for one entry oh. and uh, I, even the first time I came to the U.S. I, I had a one entry um, mm-hmm. visa and then we left and we went to Venezuela. Well, after Venezuela, our plane was diverted and instead of flying to Spain, it went back to Miami. And when we landed in Miami, um, I. Uh, I didn't have an entry, so I I I, yeah, I got locked up oh, for a day. Really? Huh? <laughs> wow. I mean, yeah, I knew I knew about the sanctions and everything else, you know, the apartheid and everything else, but I had no idea it was affected guys like you and Greg, like just guys that are, yeah. you know, wow. No, it was was Jeez. very very tough, and that's why guys like Colin Dugmore and they got German passports, right? And uh, 
But Greg always raced on on his South African passport, which was extremely tough. Yeah, geez. So you're working for yeah. Jan de Groot, and you win the world title. You yourself yes. must have been so incredibly proud of this. Well, you too. I mean, you yourself as well, coming from South Africa. But, man, like, you want to talk about, uh, you know, beating uh, Stribos in the sand, winning a world title, being the first South African to do it. Uh, that must have been a really proud moment. Like, just unbelievable. I, I think it was, you know, and, and, and um, in some ways I'm, I'm a little bit sad I was so young because you really miss it, you know. You don't you don't take it all in. Uh-huh. And, uh but you, please also understand, you know, I wasn't I wasn't the one building the engines, doing the suspension. A lot of that stuff was, you know, my main job was just to keep everything together, to mm-hmm. build the bike, keep it all tight. And but at the same time, it was all a, a learning process. Sure. Me. So I, I wasn't I wasn't there were there were more people than just me at getting it to the end of the road. Mm-hmm. But um, but yes, it was it was a, it was an awesome experience, and we were just two young kids, best of friends, and yeah. you know, to basically conquer the world in a way was a was a great experience. Yeah, because before you, obviously, the Dugmore's older than you guys, so there was Dugmore was around and all that, but yes. really, Greg Oberton was the first South African guy to really put the South Africa on the map as far as motocross. I mean, Langston comes and Rattray comes, but there's none of those guys if if Greg isn't there and yourself, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you there. I think you know you you set the roadmap and you give these kids a, uh, you know, you you show them it can be done, and and that's that's such a big thing in in anything in life, you know, is to mm-hmm. to know that if someone else can do it, why can't I? You know. Yeah. Well, I remember and, talking to yeah. Langston, and and he there was some guy in South Africa that helped you guys out, and somebody that helped him out, and, and you know, just a, a, a really nice guy. And you know, Grant told me that well, I'll be moved to Europe. I guess I got to move to Europe, but that's what you have to do. You know, like I just got to go there right. because that's how it worked for Greg. So, um, yeah. yeah, exactly. The, uh, the next year then was the Everett's year. You guys are number one, you move up. And, uh, that was the year I must be thinking of where you and Stefan Everett's Greg and Stefan Everett's just battled. Yes. And that, uh, that year, Greg was so dominant. It was, uh, that was his best year of his career. Um, 93, mm-hmm. he rode a Honda. They were, they were, they were exceptional, really, really good bike. And, um, I think he won at that time we had 14 GPs and I think he won nine. Wow. Um, I can't remember exactly, yeah. but he was very, very dominant. And Stefan was on, on, on Suzuki mm-hmm. at, at the time. Yep. Um, and Greg basically wrote a production 450 with uh, we used a HRC crankshaft and piston, mm-hmm. and uh, and they we had some uh, kit forks and a kit shock, and not there was not one titanium bolt on that bike. Everything <laughs> really? Was, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, and also too, like stock transmission and everything, like standard ratio training and everything. Yeah, yeah, Jeez. standard ratio training, but 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 it was a was a great bike, and and yeah. on the track, it was hands down the best. You know, it was mm-hmm. a really really good bike. Yeah. Uh, so you win it in '92. Uh, you win it in '92. You go move to '50s in '93. You win that, and then '94, mm-hmm. he wins again, another year. Yeah. At this point, you so guys then, are just k- killing it over there. Yeah, and actually, at the end of '93, he wanted to come to the U.S. Mm-hmm. But um, and he had already spoken to Honda, but in, at the at the final hour, the, the whole thing fell apart. And then Greg was without a ride in Europe. Everyone had signed up. This was late October, okay. mm-hmm. and uh, 
and Stefan had actually gone to his own his old team and Jan had switched from Honda to Kawasaki, got the backing and took Stefan because he thought Greg was, you know, gone. gone. Right, yeah. And um, so at the last minute, we got a Suzuki deal. But when Greg made his Suzuki deal, he, he had it in uh, in contention that the following year he could race in the in the United States. Okay. And, and um, what team was that? So that? What Suzuki team was that? That was with Gabor. Oh, Gabor. Okay. Still, yeah. yeah, still has it today, yeah. Well, selling and, it to uh, Everett's now, right? Everett's will be the guy next year. How how weird is that? Yeah. In a roundabout way, <laughs> right? <laughs> hey, they always say everything goes full circle. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, Stefan Everett's has bought the team, I guess, from Sylvain, and uh, he'll be running it next year in 2016. So, um, yeah. So, okay, so, uh, so though, I was going to ask you the whole time you and Greg are there, uh, you're talking about getting to the U.S. Like both of you are like, hey, we, we, I want to go to the U.S. Is that the is that the talk of the whole time? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, as as kids, my seriously, my my closet door was plastered right with. with with pictures of, of the U.S. And, and even as a little guy, I can still remember thinking, how on earth am I ever going to get to California? You know, that's oh, where wow. I need to be, yeah. to be in the big teams. So this, this, I was so excited about this. I don't want to miss this boat, you know, but I didn't know if I was going to be able to go or not. Yeah. But um, luckily, I met Roger that, that same year. He was helping... Um, um, Oh, he was Pepsi uh, Honda, right? With Pepsi Honda, and that was Demare, Yves Demare. Yeah, Yves yeah. Demare rode, he, he nearly won the title that year, and uh, and so I met Rog, and then and then in all of that, um, Suzuki had contacted Roger about running the team in the U.S. again, right? And I think, and then that's how I got to be able to come over too with Greg. And and join the team and start working with with Roger. Mm-hmm. So uh, yes, it was a it was a huge dream of mine to to make it over here. And then finally, we did. And did, um, and then yeah. When you were little, didn't um, did you get a chance? Didn't RJ and Wardy go there, or Mickey Diamond go there for a Supercross in Johannesburg or Cape Town? Well, no, maybe it was Cape Town or something. But we we didn't we didn't get uh, we didn't get uh, RJ or. or or any of those guys, but we had a we had a lot of other riders that came over the years. You know, yeah. there was uh, Larry Wasik and and a bunch of them that weren't they weren't um, you know they weren't title contenders over here, but they were in the top ten. There okay. was Fred Andrews. There were so many that came over and rode uh, different supercrosses and, mm-hmm. and rode for a while. So so you know, Matasevich came over. I remember for a while. Which for you, I mean, were a bunch of, yeah. If you were a oh. fan, you were like. Matasevich, wow! Exactly, you know, it was it was so exciting you know, for when those guys came over. So and now, and now you know, you we find, yeah. And now you see him at Milestone. You're like, oh yeah, hey chicken, what's up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, actually, yeah. He he's always been great to me. He's right, a, he's right. A, he's, he's a different guy, but I really like. <laughs> he him. is a different guy. Um. So okay, so you go to Gabor Suzuki in ninety, in ninety three, and um. I'm trying to think. Okay, yeah, I got those bikes pictured, what they look like and everything. Uh, but a drop off from the Honda, certainly, right? Yes, yes. In '94, in '94. You know, yeah, when, we when we went to Suzuki, the, 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 that was a factory bike. Now, I mean, mm-hmm. we had aluminum gas tanks, titanium exhaust, you know, carbon fiber air boxes. That, that bike was light and, yeah. and really nice. But they were. It had been stagnant for a long time, you know, mm-hmm. through, through, from the late nineties, from the late eighties all the way into the nineties. There wasn't much progress, and and it was tough to get it to handle good. Mm-hmm. And the bike made a lot of power, but it didn't have any bottom. 
Oh, yeah. Which was the nearly complete reverse of, of the Honda. Right, right. So in the beginning of that series, we really, really struggled. And actually, this weekend, where we've, where we've just come from, Erne was Greg's turning point. Oh, wow. Um, yep. Stefan, Stefan crashed in the first moto uh, on the start, and his teammate, Talon Boland, landed on his bike and ripped the water pump off. Okay. And so he DNF'd that race, and, and Greg won both motors, and we went from from a, a few points back in the championship to leading it, and from then on out, he, he led it to the end. He was good so, from the uh, end. So I always have great memories of, of Erne. You know, it was good yeah. for us back then, and yeah. Yeah, that's good. Uh, thinking about that Honda deal that almost happened in 93, so I didn't even know that, but you could have come over with McGrath back when, you know, like, would have been Lampson and McGrath and those guys if, if the Honda thing had happened, the USA Honda deal. So. Yeah, we, we, Greg had been in, in, in talks with Dave Arnold, and, and it was quite close, but then, of course, Dave spoke to them in Japan, and, and in Japan they said, hey, listen, what do you, you have the best rider in the U.S., McGrath. What do you want to bring... Greg over for yeah. when he's riding for us for nothing in Europe. We don't <laughs> pay a cent. They're using production bikes. Sure. So, so poor Dave, he, he basically had to tell Greg, listen, I, I can't do it. Right. And of course, of course, Greg was crushed. You yeah. Know? He, he really, but in, in the, in the, in the long run, I think, uh, you know, sometimes to go through some difficulty builds good character. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, even though he struggled through Supercross, he did eventually win an outdoor title and yeah it's, it's something to be said for a guy who's come from africa and, and one in europe and and then one in the oh. u.s and 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 at a good level i mean that year in 99 honda were you know they had tortelli and pichon oh, and, sure. and kevin winden they had a powerful team you know mm-hmm. that to, to compete against them was 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 tough so but, w- um, win or lose yeah. in 94 you guys were coming to america or what did you have to win, win? Or, no, no. When 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 the loser was done, yeah, but, but he did win. Yeah, goodness. yeah, he did. So you guys come over here. You talk about your aluminum gas tank and your carbon fiber airbox and your super trick Suzuki lightweight, and then you get over here and the bike has uh, conventional forks. It's kind of, <laughs> it's not the greatest bike. Um, nah, it, it must have nah, been a little bit of a shock true. when you came to America in '95. Yeah, yeah, no, it was, and 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 also Suzuki again. You know, uh, in Europe they had a great facility, a nice workshop, and everything. And and I came over here, and Suzuki didn't even have a workshop. They gave you your bikes, your parts, tell you go home, work in the garage. Really, uh, really, you guys weren't even in uh, in Chino back then. No, 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 no. Oh, in, shit. in the nineties, there was there was no shop. You I had didn't a know box that. and and that that was it. <laughs> and uh, so Rod started the project again. You know, starting from the bottom and yeah. building it up and and. And we we because we didn't have the tools or dinos or anything we we uh, he made a contract with Mitch Payton mm-hmm. from Pro Circuit and we would go use his dyno and we we paid a fee to do that yeah and then that was another huge learning curve for me you know here I saw another guy and how he attacked improving engine power and right. and and stuff like that and so I learned from him a lot too and. Um, yeah, we just made the progress, and 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 like you said, you know, in '96, I think that was the slowest production bike they ever built. I think the thing made 38 horsepower pop on a two. Yeah, it was. They were not. Yeah, they were not good. Conventional forks too. There was a whole McGrath thing where he was pissed too, and all that. It was Larocco quit the team for a weekend one year. Um, you know. Uh, yeah, those were 
Those were tough days, man. Uh, yeah. Hey, uh, Ian Harrison on the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast, presented by Fox Racing. We'll take a quick commercial break here. Listen to this commercial from Racetech Suspension. Use the code PulpMX15 to save yourself money at Racetech. And we'll be right back with uh, KTM's Ian Harrison. Hey, thanks for listening to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. Racetech people, Racetech.com. These guys have been in business for over 30 years, supplying racers, riders, and tuners with factory-level suspension to everyday racer. There's a lot of top suspension guys in the pits that got their start with Racetech. Trust me on this. There's more than a few guys that have learned underneath Paul Feed and gone on to, uh, to great things. Paul Feed, the original suspension guru. I guarantee you... And probably 82.7% of you people listening to this podcast need some sort of suspension work, whether it's uh, just a simple oil change with new bushings and seals, give your bike some love, whether it's the right spring rate for your weight and or speed, or maybe you just need some revalving on the machine to uh, help you uh, take first place in that Chicken Licks Raceway. Something something uh, on your bike needs attention for Racetech. I guarantee you. Freeze, Gilmore, some of the guys just using uh, Racetech, Privateer Proven, they work with uh, Ben LeMay also. They're back with Ben LeMay. And uh, they offer a full line of Racetech high-performance springs. These springs are called high-performance because they're extremely lightweight for their rates and feature the tightest tolerances in the industry. You want to save 10%? At uh, Racetech, go to PulpMX2015. When you order, you can save 10% at Racetech.com. And they're uh, proud sponsors of this podcast, and we thank you guys. All right. Back to the show. And we're back. BTOsports.com, a RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. I'm Steve Mathis, Ian Harrison on the line. One thing, Ian, that I think uh, was really cool was 95, your guys' first year. So Supercross isn't Albie's forte. I think we all yeah. we all know that. But hey, you almost won Gainesville. You broke a wheel, but I think you guys That's were right. in position to win it. Yeah, you know what? That is a long time ago, and 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 I, I don't recall much of that because you know that's still <laughs> when Supercross was mixed in with the outdoors, yep, yep. and it was just it was just such a a release to get away from the Supercross for a while. For a while. <laughs> but. I, I think they they had that big elevator jump, yeah, and he, and he, and he did mm-hmm. break a, a wheel up there, and um, we we had a lot of things that that um, yeah that sidelined us in the in the beginning, but um, it, it was just a matter of of, of building and, and getting stronger, and also the the team, you know, the, it was like in, in I felt like when I first came over to Suzuki, it was each. Each guy was individual. It wasn't a team deal. Uh-huh. And then you, if someone else breaks something, you don't hear about it, you know. And right, right. I think that's such a weak link in, in a team. You, you, as a team, you really need to look at all the bikes. And when something happens to one, pay attention because, listen, it's going to happen to the next guy. Or is it the way that – but we never had any of that information. And, and it was it was tough in the beginning, for yeah. sure. Yeah, that one year uh, – well, 1997, 90, uh, when McGrath came on late – there was uh, Big Mike LaRocca was fighting with Roger and fighting with his son, yeah. and, and Wyatt Seals was in and out on a different program, and you and Albie, it was a, a kind of a dysfunctional team back then, wasn't it? Very, very dysfunctional, you know, and, and, and I, I remember because Roger called me on, I think it was um, December 31st, and he said to me, hey, can you have a practice bike ready tomorrow morning? 
and meet me in Marietta. Okay. And I was like, what? We? And he said, no, we'll just meet at this off-ramp, you know? Uh-huh. And uh, I met him, and then he said, yeah, we're going to go testing with McGrath. And I thought he was pulling my leg. I said, come on. <laughs> and he said to me, no, I'm, I'm serious. I'm, I'm dead serious. Yeah. I said, well, why did you ask me? He said, well, I didn't know who else to, to call. Everyone else was away, and it's Christmas and everything. So. <laughs> So I was there the first day, Jeremy, he actually rode Greg's practice bike. That was the first Suzuki he rode. I'll, uh, I'll call the South African who has got no family and friends on New Year's Eve or Christmas Eve or whatever. <laughs> uh, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, uh, but uh, but so, I think, you know, with Jeremy, it, he did lose the championship, and you, you can't change that. And and Emic yeah. and was champion, but there were definitely things that, that was actually the biggest, the biggest factor of Roger putting me into in, in more into the development stage because okay. we still had people, you know, running around doing their own thing and and, mm-hmm. and I, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. Yeah, some things that that were were done incorrectly that could have definitely helped Jeremy do a lot better. But um, wow, he. He lost it by only a few points. He got a flat, got a clutch problem. He threw one race away all by himself. Like there, yeah. there was a lot of points. He just kind of, you know, and he almost still won it. So yeah, yeah, I think he, I think it was four points. And but, how how about you guys winning the '97 opening round at LA, <laughs> Greg Albertson? Now that, yeah, man, you know what? Some days Greg could just be so on, you know. And, yeah. and that day just worked out in our favor. It rained. It was muddy. Mm-hmm. It was a huge stadium that. that that had a lot of fast straightaways, so all those things played in his favor, and uh, yeah, that, that, mm-hmm. I will never forget that because um, that was something special, you know. And, and yeah. he can say he won a, a, a two fifty Supercross, you know, because even a guy like Travis never won yeah. a Supercross. You know? Yeah, it's crazy. So, um, yeah, yeah. So uh, there's, there's not we forget how tough it is to do it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, you're right. Did, was there ever talk like of, hey, Greg, like uh, I know I remember reading magazines and, you know, talking to people in the pits. It's like, hey, he should just skip Supercross. He should just skip it. Was there any talk of that or did, did Greg not want to do that? Was he just determined to? Never. Yeah. No, ne- never. never. I, think, I think deep down he, he really, he always believed that he, that he could fight for the podium. You know, he always mm-hmm. wanted to, to, to try and get there. But um but he, he never gave up. He, he mm-hmm. always tried. But in 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 2000, when he hurt his knee again, and he pulled off the track in in um, uh, we were at Mount Morris. Yeah. He came to me that day and he said, "Hey, this is the first time I've pulled off the track." Yeah. And he says, "At the end of this year, I'm done." And he had signed his biggest contract for 2000 and 2001, the, the most money he'd ever earned because he was just champion. Right. And he cut it short. He, he wrote out the the season for them, and then that was it. He was done. Finished. Um, you weren't his mechanic when he won the title, right? You, no, you... no, no. There was... There was uh, Joey Maurer. Uh, Joey Maurer. Joey Maurer. So that, when did that, you... Uh, why, why did you... Why did you not be his mechanic? What happened or what, what, what made your decision to say, hey, I, I want to just step back a little bit and, and you know, kind of be crew chief? Been, yeah, there were two things. In in '98, Greg got married, and I was always attached to Greg's visa mm-hmm. with a P1 visa. Yep. So that fell away, and uh, and then so they had Suzuki said to me, "Okay, listen, we'll move you in house, and then we can apply for an H1B1 visa for you." And um, and 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 Roger said to me, "Listen, Greg, 
Greg's not going to be so happy. You're not going to be so happy. But in the long run, it's going to work better for our team having someone that can that can oversee things and look, and we try and keep things more consistent and find a, yeah. a better way of testing and doing development. And you work at Mitch, and so that's how it actually started. And in the beginning, I, I was, you know, it, it was hard for me, but yeah. at the same yeah. time, you know, it might have helped Greg to to have somebody fresh. You know, we had been together for a long time, <laughs> right? Arguing and, at each other, we, yeah. We, yeah. Yeah, and we, we lived together. We lived in the same house. We, we were like a married couple for, for <laughs> 10 years. And, you know, it's not easy. I'm not the easiest person to get along with, so I'm sure he was like, slept, thank goodness, Dude, this guy. Stop it. You're, you're, one of the, hey, you're one of the nicest guys in the pits, literally. Stop saying that. There's no way. There's no way. You're, you're, you're always smiling, always happy. I, I do not believe it. Um, yeah, well, I, I'm happy because I love my job. I just I feel blessed to be able to do something that, yeah. that you so passionate. It doesn't feel like a job. It feels like I'm just doing my hobby, you know? Right. So, okay, so you really weren't pumped to step away then. It was kind of forced a little bit. Like, you would still be his mechanic if it was up to you. Yeah, I, yeah. Wouldn't, I, wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't say forced, but I could see the writing on the wall. Yeah, yeah. I knew he wasn't going to keep going for a long time, and I knew that I, I definitely had fallen in love with, with living in the States and being involved in Supercross and the mm-hmm. racing. I mean, there's, there is no better racing than here. Right. So I didn't want to go home. Mm-hmm. So this was this was my next option, and, and, mm-hmm. and I'm really happy I took it. I worked for uh, Red Dog for temporary for five years. Um, we became pretty close, nothing like you're 14. But I can remember a couple times him and I got into it pretty good, like just like an old married couple, like you said. So yeah. what was what was you and Albie's biggest fight? What, what did you guys – do you remember one that you, you got pretty – Yeah, pissed? you know, my, my biggest thing with him was was Greg set a goal. And once he achieved that goal, then, then, then it was hard for him to re-motivate himself. Like he said, he, he couldn't – he said one thing he's always wondered about about uh, Jeremy and Carmichael is how they can set themselves to do the same thing over and over again. He says that mm-hmm. that just amazes him. But for him, like when he won the championship, he just dropped off. You couldn't get the same results anymore, and that would irritate me because I always put the, the, the same amount of effort into every single race we went to, and I wanted him to do the same. But right. he was like, okay, I'm champion, you know, I'm just... I'm, I'm I'm not gonna go out there and kill myself to you know to win this race. Mm-hmm. And he was still awesome, you know. Right. He was always a, a top five guy. But I was I wanted that like that the Carmichael thing. I wanted him to win every time. Mm-hmm. It you know as I've grown older, I've learned that that's not the case with every rider. They 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 built differently. They wired yeah. differently. Some can, some can't. You know, and yeah. you you need to. You need to bring out the best in them, in in, in ways you can, and they and you know it. They they these guys are different animals. It's tough to find something with some of them that that gets them motivated. You know. Mm-hmm. So, um, well, I think that's why, like looking at Carmichael, it's even more amazing, right? Like when you when you think about that, like the he never lost no. an outdoor title. You know, he only lost. The, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so but I I was gonna say, well, Greg Greg stayed motivated in Europe to win. You know, three straight years, but I guess. His goal was to get to USA, so that's why he had to win. Yeah. Like, he, like there was no resting on his laurels, right? Because he wanted to get no, to no, USA. No. So, but, but in '94, in '94, it was tough, you know, because he was already world champion. So '90, '92, he wanted to be world champion so mm-hmm. bad, and then he did. Then, then '93, he wanted to be 250 world champion, and he did that. 
1994, he, he wanted to be in the U.S. He didn't want to be in Europe. Yeah. So in the beginning, in the beginning, we really struggled till till we got to Ernay. He, he got yeah. the championship back, and then he started to go. But he never dominated like he did in in '93. Right, right. You know, so so '94 was a lot tougher. And then when we got to the U.S., he had a new challenge. You know. Yeah, yeah. And he wanted he wanted to be better in Supercross. He wanted to win an outdoor title, and, mm-hmm. and that took him four years. But did, he did get it in the end. Yeah, did it sting a bit to see Joey Maurer winning it, or were you was, were you as happy? For Greg and and you know obviously the team I at was, that point, but did it? Were you wishing you know, someone it was you? No, no, no. I was I was so happy he was. You know, Greg was like like a, like I said earlier, like a brother. You right. Know? So I was so happy that he won. You know, and and to be honest with you, I had actually given up a little bit. I thought I don't know if he can do it. <laughs> he had struggled so much and he had so many injuries and yeah. I could tell how hard it was to come back from each one you know it's yeah, yeah. It, it's truly draining on them and and then he did it so i was i was so happy for him i really was that was a good season tortelli came out of the gate on fire uh right. henry was there for a bit greg came on at the end it was a nice season it was the season before ricky ruined everything for everybody but uh, yeah yeah <laughs> i remember i remember him telling me you know also in 2000 when he's gonna quit he said listen i don't want to have to run race against this car mark <laughs> there's no one gonna beat him you know? <laughs> i do not want to hold it pinned that mu- that long um, but remember remember they used to 125s and 250s would practice together yeah on on on, on, Friday. on fridays yeah yeah on friday yeah and i, I remember we'd go back to the truck and we you know i remember roger telling him at hangtown hey you know that Ricky Carmichael was two seconds quicker than you guys. And I remember Greg saying, the guy's got to be shortcut in the track. There's no way. <laughs> it's not possible. Um, yeah, it's not possible. So working through working with Suzuki, obviously, like, yeah, crew chief, Roger's a team manager. You were side by side. Um, what about the what about getting Carmichael? Um, the negotiations behind that and testing with him. Did you did you fly out secret super super secret mission um, to Tallahassee one day for him to, to try the bike? Actually not. Um, you know, going back a little bit, when when Jeremy when Jeremy didn't win, that set us back another five years. Yeah. To 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 get somebody good, you know, and then we got Travis, and Travis started again. Well, Ricky was was at Daytona, and Travis, I think Travis won Daytona that day. I can't remember in 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 2004 when Ricky had hurt his knee and was sitting out the season. Mm-hmm. And. He actually talked to Roger and he said, listen, I've been in contact with Honda and, and, and this is just the information I received. So I'm not sure if this is gospel, but yeah, yeah. he had talked to Honda and he said, hey, I want to redo my deal. And Honda told him to wait and wait and wait. And he, he just wanted to get a deal signed and done for the next two years. So he didn't have to think about it and he could just go back to racing when he started the outdoors. So, um, so Roger says, hey, I talked to Ricky, and, and, and honestly, I thought, never, you know, it's yeah. never going to happen. Yeah. And then uh, and then Roger said, hey, uh, this thing with Ricky, <laughs> it's possible, you know. Mm-hmm. So, of course, when we told Mel Harrison that uh, at that time Suzuki was doing really, really well, they pumped the money out, you know. They right. said, so we made him an offer, and um, and he accepted he never rode the bike. He wow. He, yeah. he but he, he did tell us at Daytona that he was impressed with the bike. You know? Yeah, yeah. And we had Wyndham and and I think uh, um, Travis. Travis at the time. 
So I think he could, you know, Ricky's a smart guy. He's ridden for a long time. He could gauge. Yeah. And then the very first test was at our, was at our Supercross track. And, you know, he came out and we were ready for him and, and we started testing. And, man, that was a turning point in, 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 in my career. And, mm-hmm. uh, because then we had somebody who, who could really make things happen, you know. Right. And Ricky just told us, listen, my, my setup's a little bit different, but if you get it to where I like it, I'll twist the throttle, you know. Yeah, yeah. If that thing kicks me in the butt, I'm shutting it down. Well, so that's why I always liked it low, and yeah, because you know, he had short legs, and but he had. So he, we did what he said, and that was it. Actually. Yeah, he got away from his Honda setup, low and slow, and bars on his lap. He got away from yeah. that when he switched to Suzuki. I wondered if it was you guys trying to say, "Hey, let's kind of let's move your bars up a little bit. Let's." Let's you know. Let's speed the rebound up a little bit um, because you know. Yeah, exactly. At that, that time, the aluminum chassis was was still very very new. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, it had been there since '97, but you know, if you look at steel chassis that have been there already 30, 40 years, it, it was it was hard to replicate them with aluminum. So I think mm-hmm. they were struggling with something, and and Ricky would just feel like he just needed to be like as close to the ground as possible. That's <laughs> yeah. the feeling I always got. You know, right, everything right. was. When he came to, to 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 Suzuki, Roger did talk to him and said, you know, a couple of these things you got, it just doesn't look right. And I think you can be much better if you do this, this, and this. Yeah. And his competition obviously did get stiffer too. He, he went from from racing these same guys he'd been racing a while to now this new James Stewart guy who's coming to compete yeah. against him. Yeah, Chad Reed. Yeah, Chad Reed yeah. came in, yeah. And Chad too. So, um, so we started testing and... and, and I remember he, you know, he he did change a little bit, and the bike wasn't as low. But but at that time, the Suzuki was awesome. That thing had really really good power. It was easy to ride, mm-hmm. and we had a very a really nice linkage and, and suspension setting, and we could really custom, um, you know, get it get it set up for each individual rider, whether mm-hmm. they were short or it worked for numerous guys. That that right. bike was. Primo at that time. Well, I was at Yamaha. I was at Yamaha at the time, and I remember you guys put up the new two-stroke, and we were looked at it. Well, you know, obviously the R and D department had it. Butler had one, and yeah, um, yeah. we we thought it was just a Yamaha copy from the power valves to the bore and stroke. Um, we're like, these guys copied our bike because you know Yamaha 250 was pretty good. So yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, every time I went to the diner at Mitch, with the, the we would always we would always have a stock Yamaha, put a pipe on it, and everything. Mm-hmm. And then I would shoot for the for the thirty three thirty three horsepower at at, at uh, um, what was it at seven thousand? You know, that's yeah, what yeah. We, that was what the goal was. Right. And uh, and but but Suzuki, they you know even on our race bike, we had a guy that was very in tune with things on power valves and stuff, and we could. We got that thing really, really good. It, yeah. it, it ran nicely, and and it was another nice thing it was very reliable. And we had a killer clutch. Yeah, and yeah. they could pull the clutch and do good starts, and and not have it creep. And and that was uh, that was key, you know, for Supercross. Absolutely. Um, do you have some Travis Pastrana stories you'd like to share with us? Like, what was <laughs> what was the the dumbest <laughs> thing Travis he ever used? Everybody has a couple of Travis. Pastrana he was unbelievable, stories. wasn't he? He was unbelievable. You know, he he he's got to be one of the kindest people I've ever met. You yeah, know? the kindest but craziest. When he put a helmet on, mm-hmm. something switched up there. I don't know what 
what happened, but he was not the same person that you talked to in the pit, you know. Yeah. But Travis was a, Travis was a, a, a an awesome competitor and um, and a, a great guy to be around. You know, he just always had so much energy and uh, you know wanted to win all the time. And yeah, yeah. He, he the, the problem with with Travis was his body was so beat up even from from before he started racing right. supercross that he, he constantly had these niggling or these nagging injuries that uh, that he couldn't quite get away from. And, and um, I think that that shortened his career, you know. His uh, throttle skills and wheel tapping and being able to place the front end wherever he wants it were just phenomenal. But Yeah, yeah, no, he, he had ability, yeah. Oh, ridiculous. Um, so the four-stroke, you guys used to – did you use your work spike exemption for that first – Yes. Yeah, you did, right, for the first 450? Um, yeah, we we pretty much copied the, the Honda frame. Yeah. We well, we, <laughs> we wanted to get Ricky as comfortable as possible, and also the, the year before he flat-out dominated. Sure. You know, in yeah. end of 2004, he won every race. But we didn't want to move away from, from anything he had known, so we – we tried to get in there as close as we can. And, and Ricky was a different guy on, on a four-stroke. He didn't want a lot of power because he just wanted to open the throttle wide yeah, open. Twist it, right. So, so he, he was, on the engine side, he, he had normally had a lot less power than the other guys. He only started ramping up his power mm-hmm. the following year when James became so competitive, you know? Right. He was like, I need some more. We yeah. we were at Yamaha, and we had the steel frame. This was 05, so my last year there, we had a steel frame. We got a Honda, and we were like, oh, we're in trouble. This thing's 10 pounds lighter. It's smaller. It's thinner. And we're like, oh, no. Um our bike was we used to but we used to listen to Ricky riding. You know, we had Chad, Timmy and Villeman then. And your guys' bike it's partly because of Ricky, I think, but holy shit, did it pop and backfire and kick every like the the thing was we were just like listen to this bike and but that guy, he just didn't care. The throttle never got shut down. Yeah. No, he, he you know what and, and and some of that was me too because here we here we switched from 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 two strokes to four strokes overnight, you know. Yeah, yeah. And 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 the development to to go from one to the other is quite tough. The year before, we did have some some work on the new Suzuki Kawasaki combined. Okay, yeah. And this this time, all at this point from from mm-hmm. from two thousand one, I think we did all the development ourselves. So we used. Uh, Pro circuit pipes, yeah, and 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 with but but we were doing all the all the motor work ourselves. We we're doing the cams, and and of course I had some some Japanese to help too. Mm-hmm. But, but Rick, we to 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 try and get rid of um, um, engine brake, we did a couple of things. But man, this thing used to sound <laughs> like shit. You know? Thank uh. goodness we got. Excuse my language. Thank goodness we got it a, a little bit better. You know, years after that, but in the beginning it was. Did you oof, did you guys have problems? Rough. Did you guys have problems with the diaphragms uh, and the carburetors? Uh, you know, going on and off supercross jumps and things like that, backfiring, stalling out like yeah. we did. Did you guys have those problems? Uh, yes, yes, and and uh, um, I think I think in that time, four strokes aged me like ten years, you know, because <laughs> it's so nerve wracking when you're out there and it does it fine every six or seven laps, and the next minute the oh. thing, you know, dies. For me, one of the best things, best things for our sport was fuel injection. You know? Yeah, I know things can still go wrong today, but sure. But 
generally, to me, it's a lot, lot safer than, than the days we had carburetors. Yeah, you're wiring your accelerator pump. I remember I had my carb pop off, even though the clamps were tight. Everything was tight. The carb just backfired and popped off. I'm like, oh, I'm with you, Ian. I aged 10 years. Like, I'm just like, I'm going to kill yeah. somebody, you know? Yeah, and, and, no, it was, yeah, it was scary. Scary time, man. And, and 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 in the in the end, I did find out find something that was that was very very valuable. And we we you know we on 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 um, on the four strokes, we found out that if you have too much cam overlap, oh, okay. that you, that the charge gets pushed back towards the carburetor, and mm-hmm. that could cause the bog too. So once we once we figured out how to do that with Ricky in in uh, for for ninety six and ninety. Seven, the few supercrosses he rode, we we got it a lot, a, a lot, lot safer. But once in a while, you're absolutely right. Yeah. The thing would hesitate, and for no rhyme or reason, and it was scary when a rider came back and said, "Hey, the thing, right. you know, there's nothing worse that can tell you. It's really, really scary." <laughs> absolutely. How much of a hand, and maybe this applies to now. Hiring riders like Roger picks the guys, right? Obviously, there's a lot of stuff going on. Pit, and nowadays, pit helps, I'm sure, and everything else goes on, but. Even the Suzuki days, like, would Raj come to you and say, Ian, what do you think of this guy? What do you think of this guy? Or would you go to Raj? And, I mean, you guys are tight. Did you have much of a hand in that kind of stuff? In the, in the early days, not so much. Uh, he, he, he did more of that with Ray Tetherton. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I would say right around Ricky's time, from about 2005, he started to, to, to ask me who we should take and where we should go. But... Um, Ryan Dungey was purely his 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 choice. You mm-hmm. know? Uh, I remember Ryan coming and talking to me a few times, and then he actually his dad and them were out in in California, and they asked if they could come to a test day. And Ricky was riding, and I was pretty flat out with with Ricky right. testing. We used to you know put a lot of energy into him because he would just come out for a short time, and it was back to his training re- sure. uh, regimen. You know? And Rod told me he said, "Hey, this." This kid Ryan Dungey can really ride. He he has he has some serious potential. I think he's gonna do it, you know. Mm-hmm. And um and and then and and then that's when Rog took took Ryan right from right from the get go, you know. He uh, he let him finish his amateur career that year in the B class and then the following year we took him. And uh <clears throat> he won his first supercross in Atlanta and Yeah, it it really was a hire that, that some people were like, Huh? That guy? Yeah. You know, like huh? Yeah. You know, so Yeah. Um, yeah, and and um, for me it wasn't so much of a shock because we got to see him ride with sure. with Ricky and Tedesco at the time, and you could tell that he really had potential. You know? mm-hmm. Did you when Langston comes up and wins? Um, were you did you know Grant well? Did you know his family? Did you know about the South African kid, or were you already pretty removed from everything? Yeah, I think when when I left South Africa, I think Grant might have been. Nine or ten, right? Sure, you know, he, he's a lot, lot younger. So we'd heard about this little guy, of course, who was riding sixties. I think at that time, right? You know? And um, but but then we moved away, and and um, and obviously every time I went back, I heard about him. And even my sister, you know, she said that. Uh, I remember the one time she told me that this one kid thinks that he's going to crush all Greg's records, <laughs> and and it was Grant Langston, you know? but. Uh, but he came. He he did get close, you know. He did oh, win sure. a, a life supercross title, and and uh, yeah. yeah. So I mean, he did really really well for himself. But uh, yeah, I did know him, Tyler Rattray, less so because he's even younger. Yeah. Um. So um. Yes, yeah, so I didn't know much much about Tyler, but now of course I work with 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 his father and um 
or his stepfather, yeah. Wayne Lampier, Wayne, yeah. and then yeah. and then of course Kelly's here too. Oh, that's yeah, right. Yeah, so, Kelly's uh, back there. I forgot about that. Yeah, he yeah, left left sorry. Kenny left Kenny to uh, go yeah. back. Is Andrew Langston still doing uh, factory yeah. services? Yeah, yeah. So oh. we got Andrew. Jeez, yeah, South yeah, Africans yeah. everywhere. Everywhere you look, yeah, there's South yeah. Africans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they give me a hard time. They keep telling me I hire a lot of them, but they were just they're just guys that have been around KTM for a long time. Hey, I'm I'm good friends with uh, Berludi. He lives in Vegas, here yeah. where I live. Um, yeah. He tells me Roger is just phenomenal on on like a lathe or a mill. He says he's just yep. just really good. Yeah, no, because because when Rog finished school, he actually he 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 also uh, went into fitting and turning. That's what they called it back then, mm-hmm. and, and and making parts and stuff like that. That's what he did before he started racing, because he only really started racing in his twenties, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, but he but he is. But the the thing that blows me the the way uh, blows me away the most is how quick he comes to a solution if something's wrong. Really, huh? If, if yeah. You break something. He, he, it doesn't take him more than an hour, and he has an idea. Okay, we'll do this, this, and this, and and yeah. I would say ninety nine percent of the time it works perfectly. Wow. So, so he he's really really gifted in that. But at the same time, if you think you know he he's been at motocrosses pinnacle of of, of the sport yeah. over fifty years. <laughs> Everything come and go, you know, and and I think he just remembers, okay, hey, we did this and that. Yeah, yeah, I'll do this. And and it changes a bit, but it's not, it's still got wheels and forks and, you know, still still a motorcycle. Right. So uh, he's seen so many things and and worked for so many great companies. So he he has... Unbelievable yeah. idea. It blows me away. Yeah, I've been trying to get him to do one of these with me for a while, and he yeah. just never seems to have the time or seems much interested in it. But I'm always like, come on, Raj. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, he's, uh, yeah, he, 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 it seems like the older he gets, the less talking he wants to do and the more working he wants to do. I'm like, come on, slow down so we can go home. At yeah. Some point, you know? oh, I, I see him on these. Wider. I see him. He's, he flies United like I do, so I see him on these seven a.m. flights the Sunday after a national and going out. And I'm just like, man, he's still doing it. He's still doing it. You know, yeah. he's got to have and some passion, seven, right? Yeah, he's seventy-one years old and still going strong. Um, yeah, it's phenomenal. Well, um, thank you, Ian. Thank you for doing this. I appreciate it. What a career you've had. Uh, um, I can't imagine the 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 proud the pride you must feel like when you and Albie won those world titles and coming from. South Africa, and, 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 you know, now you've worked with all these great riders and won it. You know, your buddy Greg won a national championship in America, and you're still doing it just like you're going to be Raj. You will be Raj one day. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about that. But, no, man, you've had a fantastic career, um, and uh, I'd love to, love to chat with you. Uh, I'd like to chat with you about it some more. We'll maybe we'll do a part two of these things, man. You, you've done a lot. Thank you for taking the time for, uh, for doing this. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. We'll see you at uh, Monster Cup. Thanks, Ian. See you then. Right, Thanks. Bye. That has been the BTOSports.com Racer X podcast presented by Fox Racing with uh, Red Bull KTM Ian Harrison. What a guy. Real nice of him. Uh, took the time to, to do it over an hour. And, uh, man, yeah, I uh, uh, thought it was uh, awesome for him to do it. All right. Just trying to do a new thing at the end. Maybe talk a little bit about the pod that we just did. I got most of my questions in. I told him an hour. It's an hour eight. So, I could ask him a few more, but I don't want to take up more of his time. So, all right, everybody, thank you for listening. Appreciate it. Got a few more guys coming up uh, later this week. And uh, yeah, talk to you soon. Thanks for listening.
This has been the BTOsports.com podcast show presented by Fox Racing. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. it was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Sorbic is that he never said sorry. Because Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunas. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart. There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil Cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. Dave Arnold. And McGill was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right. And, right. and he's got the thing. He's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone even harder, jumped farther if that tree hadn't have been, you know, yeah. if, if it hadn't have been there. The Hurricane Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike I think he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. That absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern-day guys in Switzerland or Poland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The beast from the east, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home, and once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take the money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse, you know. And I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Pro Circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I pulled piss and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny Omar. Stuff that you could you sit there if you didn't even want to ride it, you just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes store to enjoy these and over 500 more great motocross podcasts. The days and the months and the years.